The NCAA Cross Country Championships are Saturday. They may be sold out, but it makes it even more important to enter the Let's Run.com prediction contest powered by Zappos. Do it today. Link in the show notes. Give us your top 10 teams, individuals. It'll make NCAAs a lot more interesting. Speaking of Zappos, if you want a better running shoe, Zappos has running shoes. Link in the show notes to them. Come on, people. Buy your shoes through our links. Support us. But we have the best running review shoe site in the business. If you haven't checked it out, you need to. Betterrunningshoes.com. That's the let's run.com shoe review site. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. One day late, but we know we're worth it. The NCAA Cross Country Championships are just three days away, and we can't wait. Apparently, neither can you, because tickets right now are sold out. Will the NAU men win again? Can the NAU women win the first title in program history? Or will NC State three-peat? Or will someone else crash the party? Parker Valby or Caitlin Tui, who you got in the individual race. It's going to be awesome. It's one of the best meets of each and every year. We'll break it all down for you. And then we'll have boots on the ground for our Friday 15 bonus podcast on Friday. Join the Let's Run.com supporters club to get access. Let's join. Let's Run.com slash subscribe. Plus, breaking news on the U.S. Olympic marathon trials. The start time has been pushed up to 10 a.m. from noon after athlete pushback we'll talk about that decision and max siegel the ceo of usatf has signed a contract extension that will take him through the end of 2028 we have some thoughts on that all that and a lot more on this week's episode of the show this is jonathan gold i am joined as always by my co-host the co-founders of let's run.com robin and weldon johnson weldon's Probably doing pretty well, still riding high on Texas Rangers World Series champion. But Robert, you've had better weeks. How how are you? Thanks for asking, John. On a surface level, some might say no one's had a worse seven days than me. My poor wife slipped and broke her fibula and is now bedridden. I got so sick, I had to go to the doctor for the first time in like five years. Our washing machine broke. This morning, I woke up and water's pouring out of the sink, destroying our basement. My son woke me up at 3 a.m. and just vomited all over me in the floor. But I'm super pumped to be here, John. And I'm turning the corner illness-wise with myself. The doctor specifically gave me some medication to help me with my co-host who complains that I've been sniffling on the show. No sniffles for me, John. I've done my saline solution. I've taken the Sudafed. We got NCAA cross country to talk about. I'm sure there's going to be a rant about Max Siegel, Rojo rant. Try to keep it appropriate, guys. Yeah, that was a kick in the groin when he got that extension. But hey, it motivated me to write my article and make my video about Siegel's insane compensation. I've finally done it. Yeah, there's hope now. I... Robert's been 
talking about making a video or writing an article for basically all of 2023. And he made a video and I've seen a draft of the article. He's actually making progress. Maybe this means 2024, we might see a sub three hour marathon. I mean, Robert is actually starting to to deliver on some of his promises. Full disclosure, I don't think 13 months is enough time to get ready for that. I'm I'm pretty positive. If I do kick this illness this week, I'll probably do a mild time trial next week. This has got to be rock bottom for my fitness. Not only have I been sick for like a month, but my calf has been hurt, so I haven't run in like two months. Well, Robert, I have a question for you. What would be the thing that would motivate you the most to try to run a sub three-hour marathon? Would it be like if Max Siegel goes out and runs 259? he's older than you are like would that motivate you to run a sub three or is there something else that would be like oh my god if this happens i need to go out there and prove that i'm faster if the woman of your dreams said i will only marry jonathan galt if robert breaks three hours i'd do it in six months john but i had to i had to know that i was setting myself up for something we can't go an episode with robert digging himself unnecessarily into my personal life all right weldon what about you everything copacetic I forgot, my Ravens also lost in a last-second field goal. After blowing a two-touchdown lead in the fourth quarter to Deshaun Watson. I know, we spent like 45 minutes getting my wife down from upstairs to the TV room, and I thought the football gods would reward her for watching the game. No. Should have told her the game was canceled. Honey, just stay in bed asleep. How do you spell copacetic, John? I'm trying to see what this word means. C-O-P-A-C-E-T-I-C. Just mean it's a fancy way of saying is everything okay. We have so many words for stuff in the English language. Like, I've been on this earth for 32 years. I've spoken English for the entire time across two countries. And, well, not the entire time. I wasn't speaking when I was, like, one. But I'll still come across these random words, and they're just, most of them are just fancier ways of saying words we already have. So I don't know why I didn't just say okay, but it's kind of a nice word to say, copacetic. But now you've expanded your vocabulary. Well done. First of all, thank you for acknowledging the Texas Rangers. I think the Texas Rangers won the damn World Series, and we didn't even acknowledge it on the podcast last week. But I'm still a winner. I, too, have picked up some illness. Daylight Savings has got me a little down. The Walmart near me, Norwalk, Connecticut, is closed. The gentrification of Fairfield County is complete. My home values may have gone up 50% since I moved out here, but where am I supposed to buy household goods now? gentrification in a New York City suburb in Connecticut, Weldon? Is that even possible? I thought you guys were already like fully gentrified. Well, the, having a Walmart like a mile and a half from my house was the one thing, you know, keeping this place real. And now Target's apparently going to come in. We're going to get a Wegmans too. Shock it's going to be one of the greatest miles of shopping everywhere, but... Oh, the, all right, the other crazy thing before we get into... I think we should start with NCAA Cross Country because it's almost on a horizon. It's one of our big events every year. I, I love this meet dearly. I'm so glad I get to go to it every year. I think Robert has officially broken my brain because Sunday night I had some Thai food and I just had a couple of wild fever dreams and I don't need to get into the details of of them, but let's just see... Let's just say that both Max Siegel and transgender people were in one of them, and I blame Robert for incepting me somehow. It was some ridiculous fever dream, and I think it was the Thai food that brought it on, but I think Robert has just broken my brain. Wait, should we make this... 
Should we make this a supporters club only moment? John's dream was so far out there and crazy. Is this something we can share with the supporters club members? Wasn't Galen Rupp in it too, John? No, that was a couple weeks ago, the Chicago Marathon. I Look, we don't need to get into details. If This is so unfair to me. I, I, I have love in my heart. I wrote an article supporting Francine Nianzaba. I don't have these weird dreams. She's not transgender. Why does that have to do with anything? People think that I have hate. I don't have hate for... I'm, I'm against... I'm against her competing in the women's category. I'm against transgender people competing in the women's category. But people think I have hate in my heart. I don't. I, I go to bed every night and it's just, I sleep so peacefully. My, you and my wife had these bizarre dreams. By the way, if, you, if you're, I didn't realize this until I got married, but Chris Lear, author of Running the Buffaloes, told me this. He's like, you're responsible for your wife's dream. So if she wakes up in a bad mood because it's her wife's dream, that's real. So you better deal with it. Does that mean you can get in trouble for stuff you do in Emily's dreams? Like, you didn't take out the trash in my dream, and now you're just getting punished in real life? All right. Enough dream talk. Let's talk about reality. Uh, well, then. Yes, NCAA cross country. I just want to get it out there. There's Saturday championships. Our prediction contest is here. Get your picks in. The prediction contest powered by Zappos. Do you guys know you can buy running shoes at Zappos? Check it out. Link in the show notes to Zappos and the prediction contest. If you pick, easy way to win 200 grand. Just pick the top 10 individuals, top 10 teams. We'll give you 200 grand. Yeah, I I will expect my 200 grand bonus as the winner of the 2016 NCAA Cross Country Prediction Contest. I feel like I have a reputation to uphold. I will be getting a perfect bracket. And so I'm I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a nice year-end bonus. as we head into Thanksgiving. Okay. I want to start with this. The NCAA cross country championships are currently sold out. Yes. You need a ticket to go. And right now there are no tickets available to purchase. We were made aware of this. You would need a ticket a few months ago. I was like, okay, are people going to need to buy one? Could this thing actually sell? It's a cross country meet for crying out loud. Like they're not, they're going to run out of room, but I think logistical issue here is, there's not a ton of parking on site at Panorama, Panorama Farms. So people need to park at a mall and get a shuttle bus over to the course. And then, you know, there's a limited amount of parking at this mall. Once the parking lot fills out, you know, there's nowhere else to put the cars. That, that would be my guess. This is not uncommon, by the way, about needing a shuttle bus. I took shuttle buses to the course in Madison when they hosted in 2018. There was a shuttle bus to the course last year in Stillwater, but I don't remember either of those meets selling out. You need to buy, by the way, you needed to buy a ticket to go to Stillwater last year as well. People claiming like, wait, they're charging for a cross-country meet? Yes, this has been the case at NCAA Cross basically the last decade. But I don't ever remember this thing being sold out a couple of days before. And I know one of our concerns is like, wait, are these parents not going to be able to watch their kids? Like this is the, some of them didn't even know they qualified until Saturday. We don't know the whole story on this, but it says, The event's currently sold out. This is recording Wednesday morning. Please check back Wednesday night as available inventory may come available following athlete request deadline. So my hope is that all the athletes, families were able to buy tickets and then there's going to be a little bit more available for the general public tonight. Overall, I kind of view this as a good thing. Like there is some demand to go to this meet. Uh, I do hope the courses are packed. I hope that they plan for like, I don't know. What do you think will be a good crowd? Like 3,000, 4,000, 5,000? I mean, I, I guess... 
I didn't expect to be talking about this meet being sold out three days before it starts. Wait, John, who's putting on the meet? The University of Virginia. Who's the head coach at Virginia? Vin Lanana, formerly of Track Town USA. To get, seems to get stuff done with track and field in America. Oh, I see Robert shaking his head. That's sort of a joke. They probably should have more shuttle buses. They probably put more people on the course. But Vin Lanana goes to Virginia, they get the NCAA cross-country meet. Like, the guy gets stuff done. I hope more people can go. I hope they could. I wish they would expand the capacity, get more buses, whatever. Well, but I'm I'm not going to wait on it <laughs> until I see actually what happens. If it's sold out, but then there's no one at the meet, that's obviously poor planning. If it's sold out and there's a lot of people there, then they did a good job creating demand. Right. But it seems like they're, they've been aware of this problem for weeks. So I, I, it's, it is what it is. Cross country didn't become a hugely popular spectator sport. No matter what, I'm sort of joking about then. Bingo. And. Look, Weldon and I both this week have been defending Vin Lanan on the message board. People said he's bad. And I'm like, all these supposed NCAA violations of Stanford and Oregon that have never been actually documented. I've heard the same rumors as everybody else, but people act like he didn't accomplish anything in the sport. He's accomplished an awful lot. But I think we dropped the ball on this. We had heard this. Someone texted us or emailed us like months ago saying this meet would be a sellout. Just on based on the the capacity limit of you know the the venue, so we should have gotten that out to people to let them know. And then I remember at the time thinking, was this a good or a bad thing? I mean, well, I think it's good if we think people if people think, oh, it might sell. I want to go. It creates demand. There's this concept of you know if there's a line outside, you want to go inside. My bachelor party, we still had, we waited in line for 20 minutes because there was three people out there. And we went into an empty club. They damn tricked us. So that aspect of like, well, we shouldn't complain too much when it sells out. I remember thinking we should give a tip out to the to the supporters to the podcast listeners. We forgot to do it. But on the other hand, I'm like, should you really host the venue at a place that the parents can't show up at? Like it needs to be. I don't think this crowd is going to be much wildly bigger than other ones. Although I do have a friend driving down from Pittsburgh. He's certainly not driving out to Terre Haute. So, yeah, Robert, this is the first time NCAAs have been in the Northeast for decades. I mean, I'm trying to think the last time I know Charlottesville hosted in 1987. I think Lehigh hosted in the 90s. But the only other times it's been on the East Coast recently was Tallahassee in 2021. That's quite a distance from Virginia. Like for someone like me who lives in Boston, this is the closest the NCAA meet has ever been to me, even though it's, you know nine-hour drive or whatever so maybe you do have people who live in the most heavily populated area of the country who finally say hey this is the year i'm gonna go but uh, yeah I, look, I don't i don't want to say oh this is they messed up every air or anything i, I want to see how the thing unfolds and then we'll figure out what they got right and what they got wrong i say we hope we let it sell out every year don't broadcast it then people will have to go to let's run to cover it to, for the coverage yeah, I mean, Robert's, if Robert had his way, the Olympics wouldn't be broadcast. And the only way we'd be able to find out the results is going to the Let's Run message board. So I'm not convinced you have the sport in mind when you make these suggestions. On a somewhat related note, by the way, if you haven't been to the Let's Run forum this week, there's been tons of NCAA talk. I've learned that Vin Lanana is an angry man. People don't respect Dave Smith because he recruits foreigners, but they like Mike Smith because he recruits white foreigners. It was insane. It was an argument. They didn't directly say that, but that's what I interpreted. But you better go to the forum now, folks. It's not going to remain anonymous. 
much as Weldon's seen this. Weldon probably leans to the right the most on this podcast. Breaking news that I've been sent this morning from my friend. Nikki Haley has asserted that allowing people to post on social media anonymously is a national security threat. She promises that as president, she will force every person on social media to be verified by their name. So, folks, anonymous posting may be canceled soon on Let'sRun.com. Wait, I mean, I'm not worried. You're assuming Nikki Haley is going to be president. That's not going to happen anytime soon. So, not really worried about this. Okay, let's talk about the meet itself. This is awesome. I mean, last year's meet in Oklahoma State, I walked away thinking that was the best NCAAs I've ever attended. The men's race between NAU and Oklahoma State, an all-time classic, 83 points apiece. NAU wins on the tiebreaker. I mean, it's crazy. It's still crazy. A year later, they ended in a tie, and NAU won it. Even though Oklahoma State had this superior sixth man, that's not how they break the ties in the NCAA. The women's individual race between Parker Valby and Caitlin Tui hiked endlessly, lived up to the hike. Valby gets an 11-second lead. Tui claws her way back in, passes her late. That was a lot of fun. I just had a great day. It was a cool, honest course at OK State. And the way I look at the 2023 meet is this is essentially the sequel. You know, this I'm hoping it's Terminator 2 or Godfather 2 in terms of sequels and not National Treasure 2. Because the storylines are very similar. Oklahoma State and NAU on the men's side, once again, those two teams are... I mean, last year, we didn't think those were the two teams way ahead of everyone else. Last year, Stanford was the favorites, and they didn't run well, and they ended up fourth. This year, I think it is pretty clear NAU and Oklahoma State are the two best teams. Some There's always some sort of monkey wrench that gets thrown in, but I'm very excited for that rematch. Oklahoma State has reloaded. They've gotten a couple star Kenyans, Dennis Kipengedich, Brian Musau, who have come in, revamped that roster. NAU's got a transfer of their own, Aaron Lesheris. So that's going to be fun to watch. And then the women's race, Valby Tui, part two. These are two of the biggest stars in women's distance run in women's collegiate distance running. Maybe in U.S. distance running, period. I mean, how many pros are more popular than Caitlin Tui and Parker Valby right now on the U.S. women's side? And this time, I think Valby's going to go in as the favorite because she beat Tui convincingly when they raced earlier this season at Nutty Comb. She's the reigning NCAA 5,000-meter champion. Now, granted, Tui scratched from that race. But those two storylines have me pumped. And then the other things are pretty interesting, too. I mean, the women's team race, NAU trying to win the first team title in women's program history. NAU's trying to sweep the team titles, men and women, for the first time since Colorado in 2004. You've got NC State trying to go for a 3 P. Tui leading the way. And then individually on the men's side, it's pretty wide open. Graham Blanks. Nico Young, Habtum Samuel from New Mexico, Kai Robinson. I mean, there are a bunch of different guys who could win it. Should be a thriller. So I'm really, really excited for this. Is there something that stands out to you guys who are more casual connoisseurs of regular season cross country? I guess that's more true of Weldon than Robert. Weldon, you're coming into this. I've listed off the four or five storylines from this meet. Which one has you most excited? Obviously, number one, Valby versus Tui. Number two, the men's team battle, NAU versus Oklahoma State. But then I think the wide open men's race, who's going to be the individual title winner? And then I guess fourth for me is the, can NAU get its first women's title? Speaking of NAU, though, there's a great article by 
Brian Hamilton, The Athletic, entitled Mystery in the Aspens. Aspens. How did a rendering dynasty take root in Flagstaff? Really good to see, you know, mainstream sports publication write about NAU. But they talk about the rise of Flagstaff as a distance training venue. And well, you and Let's Run.com d- didn't get a shout out. You, you've long said you're one of the people who's been preaching the gospel of Flagstaff as a training mecca. Well, you were a little disappointed your name didn't get dropped. <laughs> My name personally should definitely should not be in there. But no, I was texting with Chris Lear and I think a couple things should have been there. Ron Mann, the longtime coach at NAU, he, he got the program established. And I think the internet should get credit, essentially. Like, the article does praise Flagstaff as being the best place to train in the country. And that's one thing. Like, I moved to Flagstaff, had a huge breakthrough, and started preaching that, preaching that. This place is better than Boulder. It's better than Boulder. If you go back 20 years ago, everyone was training in Boulder or Colorado. Now, way more people train in Flagstaff. It's also, you know, more affordable, that sort of stuff. So I think it, it sort of touched on it like it's a great place to train. Um so I, I, I think just in general, like information flows, the internet, like uh, ultimately I think it would have been discovered like this is the best place to train in America. There's just a multitude of trails. You can get to low altitude very easily. Um, and we'll link the article in the show notes. We probably need an athletics uh, subscription to read it, but it's got you know great insight into Mike Smith. The, oh, well, I his- want to go to that. It was fascinating. I do have an athletics subscription and I read it. Mike Smith, he used to talk to Let's Run a bit more. He still talks to us sometimes, but he doesn't really like all the attention on himself. But then this story, you know, he opens up, and I thought this was fascinating. I didn't know this about Mike. Mike doesn't really have a relationship with his father, and I thought this paragraph, I'm going to read it to you, was pretty incredible. said, Smith has met his father, but they don't know each other. Not really. Smith couldn't tell you if the man even has the faintest idea his son is a coach. Smith can wreck him with it these days as a new father himself. As a young person, it made him question his worth without even knowing he was. Hard shit, as he puts it. When Smith ran, he ran to be good enough, to be valued. He chased a specter and never caught up. I put so much pressure on myself in these races, Smith says. It breaks my heart to say it, but I was thinking, or that kid was thinking, dude, if you win the state meet, he's going to come back. If you win the NCAA meet, he's going to be just like in the driveway waiting for you i mean that's really great writing reporting it's a side of mike smith i wasn't aware of and it is pretty interesting to compare that to the way he approaches the sport now which is trying to divorce himself from the outcome that was that's the big theme about NAU's program is yes they win all the time but they try to go in with that mindset it's about the process it's about our approach it's not about the outcome and it's a bit easier to do that when you are winning all the time, but I found it really, really good writing and reporting there. Yeah, I thought it was great. Mike obviously deserves a ton of credit. He comes across sort of as like a modern day Wetmore or something. But also, I mean, this way touches on this. Eric Hines won the first title at NAU. Mike's just kept the ball rolling. So I think, you know, it was all set up. It's just a perfect combination of things. But I love the part, the mental side of running. Robert loves to downplay it. But Mike essentially teaches these guys, don't focus on the end result, focus on the task at hand. Well, and we can, You can have a debate about the mental side of running, right? Because, look, it's inarguably, inarguable. These NAU guys, they peak for NCAAs 
better than any other program recently. They almost always run a great race in NCAAs. The one time they didn't, 2019, under Smith's tenure, they got second. But pretty much every other time, they show up and run their best race of the year. 2018, maybe they didn't run their best race of the year, but they were so much better. But you also have to say, they get an advantage by training at 7,000 feet, one of the best places in America to train. And they've got a lot of talent. They get international talent. They get Nico Young, Drew Bosley. They get some of the best recruits in the country. They have plenty of advantages. Obviously, I think Mike Smith is an advantage. I think he's a fantastic coach. But it's like, how much do you assign, oh, he's prepared them mentally to run well, and how much is they're training in the perfect venue and they're also really, really talented? Like, Luis Grijalva, Abdihamid Noor. Abdi Noor was not, like, viewed as some massive talent when he came in, but it's clear that he is a monster talent. He's the U.S. champion in the 5,000. So I don't know how you break down all the percentages, but whatever they've got going there in Flagstaff, it's working. So I moved to Flagstaff. The altitude helped me a bunch, and I thought I mentally got it together. Is that what happened, John? I'm, <laughs> I'm saying it. It's certainly possible, Weldon. I, I just thought of myself finally as a winner for once. So I was like, I figured this out. I figured this word out. Real, reality, I was just bitter. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Look, I sometimes take digs at Mike because he's younger than me, right? He's done an exceptional job, and he did inherit a title team. He took over a national pro title. Eric Hines, Ron Mann did a great job having a decent program. Eric Hines took it to the next level, and then Mike, Mike Smith has done, might even be harder, keeping it going and just the dynasty. And I was incredibly impressed by Mike when we interacted with him, John. I think it was in Tallahassee. Was that the year after they lost? No, the year uh, after they lost was the COVID year in Oklahoma State. Okay, but and we were in Tallahassee. I just remember him saying before the race, I believe, maybe it was after, we didn't talk about the national title once all season. It's focused on the process. I think that gives him a little guru edge, whatever, but I remember all those years when, when I was hurt in high school and college and watching Weldon run. And I thought if I ever got healthy, I would just, God, he, he's, he's like right there at the lead pack at mile four of the 10 K. And then he just fades off. Just why doesn't he want it more? I would just want it more. And he always sort of seemed to come up short in these races in college. And then there's a pro. He was like all of a sudden one of the best guys in the country. Nothing changed mentally. He umped his mileage a ton. He got legalized doping called alt high low training in Flagstaff, which no one else had at the time. And Weldon was just a monster. So I I I to me, if you look at who's gonna win NCAs, it's a combination of obviously talent, training slash altitude, and then coaching. But I really did not like this thread. We're gonna talk about the other Smith. I think a Smith's gonna coach a national title on the men's side. Dave Smith. There's a big threat on Let's Run this week. I don't respect Dave Smith. Someone's like, he's gone all Kenyan. I'm like, so what? His job is to coach a top cross-country team. Do we care when some NCAA basketball team gets a foreigner? No, we don't. Do we care when the University of Texas football team goes to Florida and Alabama and California and gets all this talent? Out-of-state talent. Oh, they're not developing their own talent. No, we don't. Like, if Dave Smith's going to win the title, he probably needs a little bit higher level talent than any of you. Why? Because he's not at altitude. So I've got no problem with this. And the idea that it was really bothering me, I was like, okay, so 
Dave's, I mean, how many foreigners are on the NAU team, John? There's been quite a few. Yeah, they've had international athletes have helped them win titles in the past. If you look at that team this year, the, I mean, it's their very best runners are American. Well, actually, Aaron Lesheris, who is from Spain, he's probably going to be in their top three. And then Theo Quarks from New Zealand, Kang Niok, who is born in Ethiopia, Sudanese parents, raised in Australia. All three of those guys probably going to be on that in their top seven um, on Saturday. So, yeah, I know you're totally right, Robert. Altitude being at sea level in Oklahoma State, you know he's got a couple top Americans on that roster: Alex Meyer and um, Ryan Shoppy, who's a red shirt right now, but you know could end up running. But yeah, you, you know if you're losing out on some of these top Americans like Nico Young and Drew Bosley or Colin Salmon, Aaron Salmon, who are the last two U.S. high school champions, all of them went to NAU. You're like, all right, if I can't get the very best Americans, I st- I'm, my job is still to win the national title. How am I going to do it? Okay, I'll bring, you know, I'll go and recruit internationally. It's his job. It's his, his job is to win. I don't have any issue. These people are a- academically eligible to come run. And what what's the problem here? It's not he's not the only school that's recruited after you know Kenyan athletes. It's just not Kenyan athletes. Mike Smith's whole women's team just came over from the University of New Mexico. NEU probably doesn't win if they don't get the grad transfer Los Harris from from Wake Forest, right? I mean, like for some reason, if you import like the number two guy in the NCAA and he's from Kenya, that's like considered cheating by some people. And this has been going on for twenty years. This, this complaint. So. It should be a fascinating team battle. John, I've glanced over your preview. I've seen you made a pick. It's good because in recent years, you recent articles, you've not been making your famous let's run.com prediction. So I know who you're picking here, but before we get to your pick, I want you to explain why. Could anyone else win? Is there any scenario? I'm trying to think through this, Robert. I mean, I laid it out. Upsets at NCAA Cross, the loss. The last 20 years, how many times do you think a team ranked outside of the top two has won the NCAA team title on the men's side? Five. Weldon, do you have a guess? Zero. All right, it's happened three times. But 85% of the time, it's one of the top two teams. And I'm looking at these teams, the teams who are ranked behind them. I mean, BYU's number three, North Carolina's number four, Wisconsin's number five. The one team I'd maybe give a sliver of a percentage to was Wisconsin. They do have a very good top five. The problem is Wisconsin in recent years have just crushed it at Big Tens and they haven't run their best race at NCAAs. Maybe if these top two teams have an off day, they're the ones I could pick who could maybe go low. Or like if both of NAU and Oklahoma State struggle, BYU I think is consistent enough that they could score like 120. But I really don't give much of these other teams a chance at all. I could see one of these teams coming in for second. I think it's highly unlikely that both NAU and Oklahoma State run so badly that one of them doesn't win. I just think they're that far ahead of the rest of the field. So yeah, I think it's like 97% that it's either NAU or Oklahoma State. All right, John, do you want to tell people who you've got and why? Yeah, I I think these two teams are really good. Like last year... Oklahoma State scored 83 points last year and didn't win. That's the lowest non-winning score since 1997. We could see that broken this year. I think Oklahoma State's better than they were last year, but 
NAU, I look, I'm like, they've been running great this year. They've got Nico Young and Drew Bosley, who are both top 10 guys. And then they're returning Santiago Prosser and they're adding Aaron Las Heras. Both of them were in the top 30 last year. Brody Hasty always comes through at NCAAs. He was 25th a year ago. This is fifth NCAAs. Like, normally the question is, oh, is Brody Hasty going to be ready? At this point, I'm like, no, nah, this dude always shows up. He's been 46th, 44th, 39th, 25th in his four NCAA appearances. Now, because he's a COVID senior, you know, he gets to run number five. But I look at that team. I mean, th- this NAU team is just so experienced. Los Heras, Hasty, and Quarks. These are kind of the guys they're relying on beyond that, the two stars. They're all in their sixth year in the NCAA. Kang Neok, this guy from Australia, who just ran well for them at regionals, he turns 24 in March. I mean, their, their top five has run 15 NCAA championships and 10 All-American honors combined. That's maybe one of the most experienced teams in the history of the NCAA. So I think Oklahoma State's really good. Oklahoma State, their top four of Dennis Kibangedich, Brian Musal, who won the Big 12 meet, Alex Mayer, who was fifth last year, and Fouad Masaudi, who's the NCAA 3K champ. I mean, that team through four might actually be better than Northern Arizona. They can very easily win, but the last couple of years I've gone into the meet, I'm like, all right, NAU, they're good, but this is the year it ends. I picked them to lose to Notre Dame in 2021. I picked them to lose to Stanford last year. They show up. I just trust them a little bit more. I wouldn't be shocked at all if Oklahoma State wins, but the veteran experience, championship know-how in a close race, I give that edge to NAU and I'm picking them to win. It's an interesting dynamic. NAU is extremely old and you think that might be a good thing, but sometimes don't we see kind of seniors like Jenny Simpson? It's like there's so much pressure to like win again, kind of crater. Oklahoma State is so young. I mean, I guess one question we could ask is this definitely the end of the dynasty for NAU? I mean, is Oklahoma State just going to run it up in the years to come? But you said kind of, uh, I think there's more variance in the Oklahoma State performance because they these guys haven't done it at this level. There's been a little bit. Well, some of them haven't. I mean, they were second last year. Some of these, Alex Mayo was fifth last year. Like, they do have a couple guys, but some of the, the ones they're relying on, Dennis Kemgedich, Brian Musau, and then this uh, Israeli guy who was running well for them at regionals, Adisu Guardier. They've never run NCAAs before. Victor Shitsama, who's been very reliable for them at NCAAs the last few years, he's not running well right now. He was only 45th at Big 12s. They might not need him to win, but I, yeah, I just I just trust NAU just that little bit more. But this, I mean, they've been, any, Oklahoma State's been on the podium the last three years. And if the tiebreaker goes the other way, we'd be saying last year, oh, they took them down, they should be the favorites. Like, if Oklahoma State won last year, they'd probably be ranked number one right now. So these teams are very, very close. I've gone to the Stride Report, where if if you pay, you can, they have their individual top 50. A few weeks ago, they had it, but both teams had five guys in the top 50, and Oklahoma State was winning by one point. Now they don't actually have five guys from Oklahoma State in the top 50. So you don't know who's winning, but through four, they actually have any, they have Oklahoma state slightly ahead. What do you think of these predictions, John? NAU, Nico Young, second, Bosley, fifth, Harris, 16th, Quacks, 39th, 
Prosser 46 and Gorgas 47th. I think that's a bit disrespectful to Santiago Prosser, who was 19th last year. Do they even have Brody Hasty up there? No, they do not. Brody, this guy always comes through. He's going to be top 40 in NCAAs. Come on. Yes. I mean, they only had him 62 points through four and 108 through five. For Oklahoma State, they have Musau 6th, Meyer 9th, Masaudi 14th, Kippen Geddes 25th. Nobody else. Kippen Geddes should be higher. He's not the 25th best runner in the NCAA. He won the Cowboy Jamboree. He won the Midwest Regional. He might be their best guy. I talked to Dave Smith. I was like, who's your number one? He's like, well, I don't know. We have four really good guys, but at the end of the day, it's probably him or Alex Mayer. He's not going to be 25th at NCAAs, I don't think. I mean, maybe if he runs like a freshman, he didn't have a good day at Big 12s, but I think he's really good. Yeah, the question is who's going to be, you know, as it often is with these teams, who will step up at number five? I think they have plenty of options. I think they'll probably have a fifth guy in the 30s or 40s. I don't know exactly if it's going to be Guardier or if it's going to be Will Muirhead or maybe Shitsama finds something. But I do think they'll have a fifth runner in the fifty in the top fifty. Would you say this if one of the big names and he's a little bit deeper, like through seven? Yeah, just a little bit. So, you know, if one of the Kenyans from Oklahoma State lays a goose egg, they may be in trouble. Should be a fascinating battle. Screw the stride report. I rely on the let's run.com prediction contest powered by Zappos. And Bard, which is like chat GPT by Google for my NCA stuff. Bard was you telling me, I didn't Bard. know. Evan Jager, do you guys know he's in this race? And he's a two-time NCA cross-country champion. That's what Bard told me the other night when I asked who's going to win the NCA cross-country championships. And then today I asked it again. It started inventing names. It would sort of combine like a sort of Kenyan-sounding name with like a Hispanic name. I don't know if Bard's racist or something. Oops, I just got Bard shut down. So there we go. But... I think this comes down to a battle. You guys have hinted at this, but not as good as the prediction contest voters. Right now, we just put this up last night, but 56% of people are picking Northern Arizona over Oklahoma State. But the we also ask you to pick the top 10 individuals. And I think essentially it comes down to, if this comes down to form, is like NAU's number, NAU probably better at one and two. And then how good are Oklahoma State's next four? And then people are sort of favoring NAU's number five or over Oklahoma State's number five. But on this polls, you know, Nico Young is right now the first pick. He doesn't have the most first place votes, but he's the number one overall vote. Drew Bosley's coming in at number four. Then you have Kippen Ginnich at number five. Brian Massau, number nine. That's the Oklahoma State guy. Alex Meyer, number 10. Faud Masadi, number 11. So you have four Oklahoma State guys in the top 11. So if they do that, even though NAU would have two above them, like it really comes down to the number five. So, but Roberts hinted at a couple things. Like Kip and Gittich did really poorly at big 12s. Like yeah. what happened there, John? Like if, yeah. So maybe he's a freshman. Big 12 though, you're not going to get, you're not, it's not, a, it's not like you're going to like, you know, pre-nats and, and or nuttycomb and just getting engulfed by a field for the first time. You're just not used to it. So, but some of these guys, they haven't run NCAA cross country championship with 200 runners. It's a bit crazy. So NAU is going to be, need to be very strong one through four. Yeah. I made that Dave Smith made that same point to me. Well, and I said, you know, they have left Stillwater, Oklahoma for one race all year, which was the big 12 needed names. 
some of their guys have never run anything like NCAA cross because they didn't go to Nutty Comb or anything. They stayed at home, ran an intra-squad meet. And Big 12's not a big field. The Cowboy Jamboree, which is the other race some of their guys ran, huge field, but not very deep at all. So you're not really getting this massive pack. NCAAs, I mean, maybe it doesn't make that much difference if these guys are all out. If they get off the line well and they're in the early pack, maybe they don't have to deal with If they're in the front pack very early, they might not have to deal with that. But that is still something that a lot of the, you know, if, they, if you're out in 50th place at the mile and you're going through pretty quickly, are you able to keep your calm and work your way up? Some of these people on the Oklahoma State team have not been put in that position before. So if they respond and they allow their sort of talent to come through, then they, that might be enough to carry them to win. But you are going to be tested at this meet. It's, a, it's very tough. There's a lot of good guys. Dave Smith, the way he put it, was like, look, there are 200 guys on that start line who think they can be in the top 4D. And you got to go out, go out there and earn it. So it's going to be fascinating to watch. And that experience of running this meet and running well at this meet before which is the case for almost all of NAU's key runners. That's why I'm giving them the slight edge. But yeah, that top four is really, really good. I mean, if you have top, they, it's not crazy to say Oklahoma State could have four guys in the top 15. And if they do that, that gives their number five a huge cushion, you know? Agreed. I guess I have very little doubt that, well, Bosley's kind of struggled as a little bit this year, right, John? Uh, not really. He, he won the Virginia Invitational on this course back in September, which had a lot of good guys in it. He was only eighth at Nuttycomb, but eighth is still, he was with the lead pack for a lot of that race. You know, he ran, he was eighth in 23-32, nine seconds back of Graham Blanks, I guess, but I, I'm not that worried about Drew. Drew Bosley might not be third again, but he, I think he's going to be in the top 10. Yeah, you're right. I mean, eighth, you're right there. It's not like he was 48th. I have a lot of confidence that Nico Young and Drew Bosley are going to be in the top 10. The Big 12 meet, there's just a little doubt, you know, about the Oklahoma State guys who have never been there before. And then when it comes to your number five guy, if they falter and there's no number six to, like, prop them up, it's over. Sorry. Like, there you go. Ten seconds will ruin your will ruin the team stuff. Like where, essentially where the number five guy is, probably maybe fifteen seconds. So if you've got a, a number six sort of backing them up, which I think NAU is probably better at six than Oklahoma State. I don't know. Well, but I think the fact Oklahoma State's still pretty pretty good in that position because their number five. You would say based on what he's done in the past, Victor Shitsama, but he didn't. He hasn't run that well in his most recent race. But behind it, him is Idisu Guadier, the Israeli guy who was fifth at the Midwest Regional, he was the number four man in that race, and he's run 28-17 for 10,000 meters. I think that's a pretty good backup option. The one concern with him is he hasn't run NCAA cross before. Is there number six guys from 28-17? I mean, could be the number six. He could be the number five on Saturday. Who knows? But, I mean, it's a pretty good option. But, yeah, like I said, that sort of talent, you're not relying on some guy to, like, do something crazy you're a 28 17 guy you go have a decent race you should be all right uh, you know if you're just trying to be the number five guy on the team so man i might i might there's something about experience but i might be leading towards oklahoma state i mean i'll tell you this 
I, I feel like part of me is I just don't like being a, if a team can repeatedly proves me wrong. You know, like the last two years I picked against NAU and I just felt stupid afterwards. I'm like, why? Why would I pick Notre Dame, who's never won, this, who hasn't won this meet for ages, or why would I pick Stanford? You know, who didn't get it done the year before, didn't get it done, you know, like, why would I go against NAU? They're just a machine they win every year. Like, odds are, six of the, look, six of the last seven seasons, they've won this meet. So, the odds just say, oh, pick against NAU and you won't look stupid. But, it's also not always fun to say that, you know, it's fun to say, hey, I finally called the NAU upset. So, yeah, I don't know. If I didn't have all that history, maybe I'd be more inclined to go OSU, but, I, I just don't like being proved wrong by the same team three times in a row. So I'm picking NAU. And I think generally I like the underdogs. The fact that NAU can win seven of eight is crazy because I, I view NAU as, I used to view them as an underdog. But now when Robert's like, oh, the dynasty could be over, to me, that might shift them. I'm like, oh, NAU is an underdog now. Maybe I can start rooting for them again. But one more quote from this athletic article that I loved from Dubrasi. All I wanted to be was a runner. That's really all I'm interested in. Anything that gets in the way of that, I'm not as interested. I'm not saying I don't care about school. I'm not saying I don't care about my friendships, my family relationships, romantic relationships. I do. But my job is to be a runner, plain and simple. I felt like I was going to be able to do it the best here. I just loved it. Like, I think that's the passion a lot of people have about running. You know, let's run visitors and people and it's just a huge part of your life. Uh, especially, you know, when you're, you're younger and competing. And I think that sort of mindset shows like you get a lot of guys like that on your team. And then I think you can get too neurotic about it. Whatever. Mike sort of tempers them a bit, gives them a slightly different mindset and they're ready to go. So it should be interesting. Yeah. That, that's the pitch. Well, then you say, where is the, pl- look at the place where all the pros come for training camps. It's Flagstaff. You want to train like a pro come to Flagstaff and we'll do it from age 18. And I think that's how you get someone like Drew Bosley. That's how you get Nico Young picking a California kid, picking NAU over Stanford. Because Nico Young wants to go to the next level. And why did he pick NAU? Because he's like, well, I can train like a pro in Flagstaff. I don't need to go on training trips. Like, where did these college kids go during the pandemic when their school wasn't in session? They, you know, Some of these kids take a gap year. They go to Flagstaff to train with their teammates and rent Airbnbs there. Or you can just live there year-round and run an NAU. But you nailed it there, John. Both the advantages and disadvantages of NAU. The guys they get, they're going there for the running. Let's be honest. They're not going there for the academics. But where do the young parents send the other kids? Stanford. Most are going to go to Stanford if they can get in over NAU. I'm sorry. That, that, that part's still true. Well, I thought that was interesting in the article because essentially it said that, like, I didn't realize this, but Nico Young, it sounded like, you know, Stanford was the main other option. And he's like, no, I think I have a better chance to be a better runner at NAU. And so he did that. Whereas his two younger brothers went to Stanford, you know, they took academics more into the equation. So I I just, I found that interesting. I think it just sort of depends on the kid's focus. Yeah. Stanford's still going to get like recruits, but if you want someone who's like, I'm a running, I think I'm a running lifer. They're going to look at the NCAA performances recently. You got Stanford kids and you got NAU. Stanford, zero titles since 2003. NAU, six. But uh, Stanford, John, did have the NCAA cross-country champion last year. 
and the NCAA 5K and 10K track champion, and those are two different people. So it's not like you can't go to Stanford and, and, and be a good runner. Fair, fair, very fair point. Uh, yeah, like yeah, it's not like Stanford's running a bad program. Um, that's a very fair point there. Okay, looking. Speaking of that, individual title, Charles Hicks, who won it for Stanford last year, has since turned pro. There are a bunch of different guys who can win it. Kai Robinson, who won the 5K and 10K on the track in June in Austin of Stanford, probably got the best kick in the NCAA. We thought so until Graham Blanks just unleashed at the Nuttycomb Invitational. He's running. Graham Blanks is undefeated this year from Harvard, was the runner-up in the 5K to Robinson on the track in June. And he won the biggest meet of the year, Nuttycomb, with a big kick. It was very close until about 600 meters to go, and he just blew everyone away. That was really impressive. You've got Habtum Samuel from New Mexico, first year in the NCAA, two-time world junior medalist. He won. He got bronze in the 3,000 at world juniors in, three, in 2021, bronze in the 5K in 2022. He's run 13-13 and 27-20. It's kind of amazing. He's not just the runaway favorite, but this is how competitive the NCAA is. You can be a 27-20 guy and not be guaranteed to win. He got third at Nuttycomb. Nico Young, who was second last year, second at Nuttycomb. Fourth is a true freshman. I mean, this guy's just been the phenom the whole way. He's an exceptional cross-country runner, tough as hell. He's going to be in the mix. Drew Bosley was third last year. He's going to be in the mix. I think all of those guys could win on their day. Um, and then maybe, you know, maybe even Dennis Kavangetich, who I think is Oklahoma State's best guy. Could he be up there? I haven't even, I haven't written my preview about the individual race. I don't see like a clear, overwhelming favorite. Graham Blanks has beaten pretty much all these guys this year, except for the Oklahoma State guys. So you could probably say he's the favorite because he won Nuttycomb, but Charles Hicks didn't win Nuttycomb last year. You know, the, the thing about the individual stuff is, you don't know who's training through what. We get to see their race performances. We don't actually get to see, you know, is this kid in the middle of a 100-mile week? Is he nursing a little bit of an injury or something like that? You know? We, we don't know. So it's going to be about who peaks the best for this, who was holding back something in the regular season. You know, if you, I think wait until Friday until I make my actual pick and I maybe hear from some of these guys at the press conference, but... To me, we have the results on paper. The season results say Graham Blank should be favored, but you know maybe Kai Robinson was just training through Nuttycomb, and now his kick is going to be on point. It's very hard to call this thing well then. I think earlier, John, I said this race was wide open. There's probably five guys or so I could say see winning it. Can Graham Blank's... A Harvard guy, not a scholarship runner, really win it. A lot of Ivy Leaguers in Let's Run. We're, we love to talk about running. But that would be a... It's tough for me to say as a Yale guy, but that would be a very cool story. And am I just going to discount Nico Young? Yes. Carry on. I mean, of course, Graham Blanks can win it. He was second in NCAAs in the 5,000. His teammate, Maya Ramston, won the 1,500. And an Ivy Leaguer has won this title before. Only 10 years ago, Dartmouth's own Abby D'Agostino, now Abby Cooper, NCAA cross-country champion. 
if you could like just because he goes to Harvard doesn't mean he's a not a grade A talent. He beat many of the best guys already. Of course, he can win, but it doesn't mean he will win. It would be a cool story if a normal-aged American, born and raised, Ivy Leaguer, wins the NCAA cross-country title. The only NCAA athlete I've had dinner with in the last year, his great aunt, his great family friend, and I've promised I would have him on the podcast. Hopefully he'd agree to it if he won an NCAA title, but not until he won an NCAA title. But I don't think he's going to do it. If he does do it, he's had an amazing year. The kick at Wisconsin, Nuttycomb, was unreal, and now it's been his Achilles heel. I mean, remember, this is a guy that ran in the 1320s in his gap year before Harvard. But normally, average-aged Americans do not win NCAA cross-country titles. American winners in general are pretty rare on the men's side we're talking about here. Connor Mance won in 2001 and 2020, but he's overaged. I think he was 23 or 24 when he won those. Going back before that, you go all the way back to Galen Rupp. By the way, Graham Blanks is 21 years of age. Rupp was over 21 when he won. I think he was 22 or 23. McDougal, at least 22. Rowan Tinsky, I think he was like 25 or 26. You got to go all the way back to the year 2003 when Dathan Ritzenheim won to find an American that won at the age of 21 or younger. Dathan Ritzenheim was 20, turning 21 in December of 2003. So history says pick an overaged American or pick a foreigner. And that's what I'm going to do. At the beginning of the year, when I heard there was a two-time world junior medalist running for New Mexico, who's run 27-20, I thought, why isn't that your NCAA champion? So. My pick to win this thing, Hab Tom Samuel of New Mexico. All right, wait, Robert, hold on. Pump the brakes a second. What's your definition of overage American? I mean, Galen Rupp, when he won, was 22. He was a fifth-year senior. I mean, is that overage? Josh McDougal, when he won, was 22. He was a fourth-year senior. Now, granted, he was born in... June of 1985, so he would have turned 23 at the very end of his senior year. He was a bit old for his grade, but those guys count as overage Americans running in their fourth or fifth year of college? Rupp was a fifth year, counting the gap year he took, John? Is that really his sixth year? Galen Rupp didn't take a gap year. Oh yeah, he did one year before Oregon. Right, Weldon? Galen Rupp's first year out of high school, he didn't go straight to Oregon. He was training with Salazar, and then that's why people thought there had to be a, a, a secret Supposedly, his parents paid back all the benefits he got from Nike so he could go to Oregon. Yeah, that was his fifth year out of high school. He graduated high school in 2004. He won NCAA Cross in 2008. So, 04, 05, 06, 07, 08. That was his fifth year. I mean, fourth year of college, maybe, or his fifth year after graduation. It's not out of the... Like, I don't know what your definition for overage is here, Robert. Overage was a slur. I shouldn't have used it. We ha- Let me rephrase it. We have not seen a 21-year-old or younger American win this race since the year 2003. Is that, a, is that a factual statement? That's good. And it's a great point because I was thinking this on my run yesterday. I was thinking through this whole thing. And I'm like, when's the last time an American who was in their fourth year of college or earlier actually won this thing? And you would have to go back to McDougal, who I didn't even realize was a little old for his grade. But yeah, that's the kind of talent we're talking about. It takes to win. It's a Dathan Ritzenhine type talent. And could Graham Blanks be that? I don't know. I mean, he ran... 
13, 20, one year after graduating high school. So that's pretty freaking amazing, even in Super Spikes. Whoa, that's high praise. That's why I don't think he's going to win. He's a huge talent, but Ritzenheim type talent? That's that's rich. Hab Tom Samuel, 13, 13, 5,000 PB. Top 20 in the senior race at World Cross Country this year. Or it could be this Oklahoma State guy, the Kenyan freshman. Somebody told me he was like fourth in the Kenyan trials. Is that true? So I read that in the message board. It could have been a lie, I guess. Dennis Kibigenich was third in the Kenyan cross country championships this year, which was not their national trials. So it was a little shallower, but it was the senior Kenyan national championships, which is quite impressive. And ju- just to say in context, Habtim Samuel, yes, he was 17th at World Cross. Do you know who was 22nd? 15 seconds behind him. Aaron Lasheris, who is slated to be NAU's third man. So, and Kai Robinson was one place behind him in 23rd, 31-11. So you can look at it this way and say, oh, Habtim Samuel, he smoked Kai Robinson by 18 seconds at World Cross, or he was 15 seconds ahead of NAU's number three. Does that change your thinking on him at all, Robert? I mean, I think 17 is pretty good, but I think these other two guys ran pretty well as well. Changes a little bit. The more I'm thinking about this guy, I'm like, wait, he never wins. He's always like getting the medals in the World Juniors. He's not winning these things. If he was winning World Juniors, he wouldn't be in the NCAA system. I'll tell you that. Fair point, John. Fair point. It's going to be fascinating. Samuel didn't win Nunny Cone, but I excuse that because he wasn't used to the slop. I do think it means a little bit more to the people who've been in the system for a long time, know what the meat means. Kai Robinson, God, his kick. He made a mockery of the 5 and 10 on the track. And I discounted Nico Young earlier. Why? Because he has no kick. Well, we said the same thing about Grand Blanks before he destroyed everybody in the kick at Nunny Combs. So get out the popcorn. But we're not going to have four or five names on the women's side. There's two. Parker Valby, Caitlin Tui. These are like household names. These, these are like brands. This is like Dallas Cowboys, Pittsburgh Steelers, like Yankees, Red Sox. I, I, I'm still – Weldon knows and the web guy know more about – well, you can only post under one fake name per thread. There, there's so much talk about them on the message board. I'm like, are there just a few, like five, like middle-aged men that are obsessed with these two? Or are these real, girls really this popular? It's just back and forth. Who's going to win? And I think we all agreed, like, Volby's got to be the favorite after the pre after the nutty come destruction and the time she's been running. But then we got a fascinating text, I think. John, you feel free if you want to give out the name to who texted this theory, but. Just running insider, let's just say that. Big time shoe exec. After we made that prediction, this loyal listener says, Guys, you're getting the Tui Valby picture all wrong. Tui is in the middle of the 85 to 90 mile weeks and doing these middle season races to tick the boxes. For Valby, these races are basically fresh legs every single race. When the big dats comes, Tui's going to be way, way, way more tapered and fresh. Well, Volby is already at her ceiling. Volby being fragile too. The longer the season, the harder the races, the less her body can sustain it. I expect it to be very much like last year in the end, with only a couple of seconds between them. Volby knows she has to break Tui, and Tui knows she only needs to be there with 600 meters to go. Plus, don't forget, Volby still doesn't know how to run the tangents. I mean, that lays out the issues at stake here. I think you're not an idiot if you pick Caitlin Tui. She's a defending champion. And certainly possible that 
she's going to be fitter than she was at Nuttycomb. She's closed the gap, but Parker Valby knows they don't hand out NCAA championships in October as well. And so does her coach, Will Palmer. So the health thing, people point this out. Oh, she only runs two or three days a week. Well, she won an NCAA track title running two or three days a week. Like the last 14 months of NCAA championships or even beyond that, she was runner up in 2022 outdoors in the 5K, runner up in 2022 cross in the in 6K, didn't run NCAA indoors in 2023 because she was injured, and then NCAA champion in the 5,000 outdoors. She seems to be healthy. We don't know of any issues going to this one. So they figured out a way that gets her performing at the end of the season for the most part. What's most interesting to me is when they raced at Nuttycomb, Kaylin Tui did not employ the same strategy she did at NCAAs last year. She didn't say, I'm going to let her go. She'll come back. I'll run her down. She tried to go with Valby and couldn't hang on. She ends up getting dropped. And I wonder, will she try that same strategy this time around at NCAAs? Or does she do what she did in 2022? Hang back a little, let Valby get a lead try to run her down. Because I'm kind of thinking, I think Valby, she's just running so much better than she did last year. Her margins of victory are bigger. She's being the same athletes by more. I think if she lets her go, she's taking a risk, two years, that Valby might not come back. So we said this on the men's side, you never know where each athlete's at with their training. Tui was racing into July in the track. So maybe they're just taking it slow and she's going to be a lot better in NCAA cross. But I think Valby is just operating on such a high level right now. I I think I'm still going to be rolling with her. It's, it's going to be fascinating to see how both women... I mean, we know how Valby's going to play it. Valby's going to go out aggressively. The question is, what does Caitlin do? Either way, it's going to be fascinating. Takes guts to let her go like she did last year, but I think she's going to go with her. I'm normally not into the taper theory, but the email was so well written. The text was so well thought out. I was like, wow, Tui's going to do it. But I'll tell you what. If I'm Will Palmer, if I'm Valby's coach, I'm getting there. Whenever they arrive in Charlottesville, I assume they're already there. Thursday and Friday, I'm saying, all right, we're going to run. And these are the ta- – every second counts. Every tenth of a second can count in this meet. I'm saying this is the tangents that you need to take. We can't be giving up any extra distance to anyone because you're going to be out there leading this thing. You need to know the way. You need to know the best routes. Don't give an inch, essentially. So – I think that's really most of the time across country, you can just kind of just follow the post in front of you. When you're part of Albi, I do think it's important. You can't leave seconds on the table when you're trying to break someone like that. Or if you're trying to, if you have a gap and you're trying to prevent yourself from being run down. There's a trivia question for Weldon, for John, because I know John will know the answer. Who is the last woman to repeat as NCAA cross country champion? Looking back at these names, how many of these other people even had the opportunity to repeat? Sally Kipiego. Wow. Sally Kipiego is the second to last woman to repeat. Sally won three straight, 26, 2006, 7, and 8. Angela Bizzari won in 2009. And then Sheila Reed of Villanova won in 2010 and 2000. And we should also say this very well could be Caitlin Tui's final NCAA race. We've got the Olympics coming up next year. She's already done everything she can. Well, I mean, pretty much everything in college athletics. She's got a bunch of collegiate records. She has won NCAA titles indoors, outdoors, and cross country. And 
twice as a team in cross country, NC State going for the three-peat. At this point, I think it makes sense to just say, all right, instead of worrying about getting a qualifying mark for NCAA indoors and then going there and doubling up and all that sort of stuff, you turn pro, you sign a nice lucrative endorsement contract, and you put everything into trying to make the 2024 Olympic team. So I would expect this to be Caitlin Tui's final NCAA race. And you expect it to end with a loss. Is that correct, John? I've not read your preview. I haven't written the preview yet. I, I want to wait to make my official picks on third Friday for individuals, but I'm leaning to leaning towards Valby. Please ask Miss Hennis or Miss Tui if, if if the taper theory is correct. Said otherwise, I'd have to go with Valby too. I was going to make a shirt two e equals victory, like an Einstein type shirt. I mean, this is a crazy to think, but this is a big race for Caitlin Tui. She gets beat here. Why is it crazy to think the NCAA cross country championships are a big race? I'm just saying, we said this about someone this year at the Worlds. Like, your whole view of them could change. But if she gets smoked here, I mean, John mentioned it, the Olympics to begin with, even if she wins. You mentioned the Olympics, John. There's no guarantee she's on the Olympic team. I guess just real quick, yes or no, is Kayla to it on the 2024 Olympic team? No. Without analyzing it, yeah, no. I would have to say no right now, too. Unless there is a big taper, she goes to altitude and goes another level. She's not at that level right now. You got She's not beating Lise Cranny if, she, if Cranny's healthy. Alicia Monson just set the American record. And you know, then you've got someone like Natasha Rogers or Carissa Schweizer if she's healthy. I, I, yeah, I think I would say no, but what one of them might get injured, you know? What about Ellie Hennis? Ellie Hennis is good. There's a lot of women in that, like, 1440s range, high 1440s, low 1450s, that Tui hasn't run yet. So, yeah, it's it's certainly far from a slam this, dunk. She's on the in, team. In a, in a weird way, this reminds me of the Cooper Tier Cole Hawker thing. I want to know what Coach Lori Hennis thinks of the talent level between her own daughter and Caitlin Dewey. Like, you would, people... At some level, the average fan thinks, oh, Tui's way more talented. Meanwhile, Hennis's PRs are better. She won an NCAA title in cross country and in, in the 5,000 as well. You know what Ellie Hennis has been able to do that Caitlin Tui hasn't for the last like two years? Train in Flagstaff, Arizona. Yes. I'm well aware of that fact. And I was just always wondering, like, do people realize like Cole Hawker's way better than Tier, but maybe he's not. Anyways, on the. Prediction contest powered by Zappos. This is wild. Bobby's number one, but she's got one less first place vote than Tui. They're separated by three total points. Can't get any closer than that. Enter the prediction contest now for free. Please don't forget to get your friends to enter the prediction contest. Who else besides Let's Run like makes running fun? Like we, we link to outside sources, so you don't have to go scramble over the internet finding all the news. We give you free contests. We don't ask for much in return. Since I've been ill, it'd be nice to have some more money in my bank account. Join the supporters club today. Let's run.com slash subscribe. Robert, I'm struggling to do this math though. Parker Valley's first, but she has fewer first place votes. Does that mean people are picking her for like third or fourth? I feel like Almost anyone who goes to Let's Run is going to pick Parker, Valby, and Caitlin Tui one, two in some order. It's kind of wild that there are people who aren't doing that. I think it means someone must have picked Tui off the top two. Uh, yeah, I guess so. 
Well, I mean, anyone remember what happened when Jenny Simpson went back for one last dance? 163rd. I do remember. All right. Women's team title. Of the four races, I would say this one is the least compelling storyline, but it is pretty interesting. NAU, you know, Robert, we'd always talk about this. NAU, they're crushing it on the men's side. Why can't they do it on the women's side? And it's like, well, it's really hard to be good at both at the same time. Like, not many programs manage to do it. Usually one's up and one's down. The NAU women, yeah, they made some nice progress. They didn't even make the NCAA meet in 2018, and they gradually improved. 2019 made it. Last year, they were sixth. Elise Stones was fourth overall, but they wouldn't be contending for a national title this year, most likely, without transfers. Uh, New Mexico, the old coach, Joe Franklin, left to take the Louisville job over the summer. Pretty much all the athletes ended up transferring out. A few went to Florida. Three of them, Graceland Larkin, Ali Upshaw, and Macy Grice, wound up at Northern Arizona. All three, three, those were three of NAU's top four, five. Sorry, they were three of NAU's top five at regionals. And they had another transfer, Ruby Smee from San Francisco. So four of NAU's top five at regionals last week were not on the roster last year. They came in as transfers. They do have some other good runners who have been there the whole time. Annika Reese, Elise Stunts, like I said. But I think either runners who are figuring out, hey, Flagstaff is a great place to train for women as well. Mike Smith, he's a pretty smart coach. Or they saw, hey, NAU made some progress. They were sixth last year, and this is a program I can step in and finally do something with. For whatever reason, they have a great collection of talent. They have a good coach. They have a great place to train. It's all clicked. They've been dominant this year. They smoked NC State in the middle of the season at the Nutty Comb invite. The question is whether NC State can hit their ceiling. They have two athletes who've been banged up this year, Samantha Bush and Amara Sinisma, both of whom are in the top 15 and then Sibley Cross last year. Bush seems to be on the upswing, but Tanisma still hasn't finished a race since NCAA Outdoors. She DNF'd ACCs. She DNF'd the Southeast Regional. So I think there's a bit more certainty about NAU right now uh, compared to NC State. We got to find out what's up with Tanisma, but that's why if NAU, like, if the women win, it's almost like an asterisk for me. I guess you could say Oklahoma State, the whole team's new too, but at least they're freshmen. I, wait, hold on. You had rule. this whole it's, spiel at the start of the show. You can build your roster however you want. It's not a problem to bring in international students. And now you're saying it is a problem to bring in transfers. I don't really care how these teams get assembled. In, ge- in general, I don't think it should be free agency every year in college sports. Now, when the coach leaves, I'm kind of open for you being allowed to leave. So this would be a one-off. But generally, I think the reason why the NAU men are better than the NAU women is – well, I think altitude helps. John Kellogg explained this to me. There's a reason why altitude helps men more than women. But I also just think most women aren't going to go all in running as much as men are. Women are more worried about their education careers afterwards. But these are women, they've already gone to New Mexico. So Flagstaff's like next best option. But what if any of these women are regretting it? Like Darren Goss and the, the UNN men, the new coach in New Mexico, they might have the best top three in the country. Obviously, he's doing a pretty good job. Can we give a shout out to him? If they'd stayed there, they would have had a pretty damn good team. But no, you, you can build the team how you want, like whatever. But I'll just say this, Robert. I ran through the composition of the last 10 NCAA women's cross country champions. Eight of those teams had at least one transfer in their top five. Four of those teams had at least two transfers. 
in that top five. So that's just the reality of the sport is the top programs, people want to go there. And more often than not, one of those transfers ends up having a, a big impact at the NCAA championship. But ask Kenneth what's going on with Tendamus Mom. I, I'm giving her a shot to somehow pull it off. I mean, the fact that she's racing, she's raced ACCs and Southeast Regionals. Suggest, I mean, Lori Hennis isn't going to race her if she's completely injured and she thinks she's just going to drop out. Like at ACCs, it was a cough strain or cough cramp. She dropped out 800 meters from the finish line. I don't know what happened at Regionals. But the fact that she's at least starting these races suggests to me Lori Hennis thinks she's ready to finish them. So, yeah, it's good. she's certainly a wild card coming into NCAAs because I do think NC State's got the advantage. They have the best top two. They have Tui and Kelsey Camille, who were first and third in NCAAs last year. So I think both of them are going to be scoring very few points. Is Kelsey Camille like the most underhyped runner? Yeah. She's third. We never even mentioned her. She's been overshadowed by Caitlin Tui her entire career. She was up at NXN running really well, but she she was from New York. So she's getting beaten by Caitlin Tui in New York races. She's getting beaten at NXN. Now she's one of the best runners in the country, but she's not even the best runner on her team. So yeah, she's I think she's been overshadowed basically her whole career. But they seem like they have a pretty good relationship because Camille's a year older and Tui followed her to NC State. But when, when NC State won in 2021, Camille was that top runner in sixth. It wasn't Caitlin Tui. Okay, people. That's enough NCA talk. We'll have more from the course on Friday. You got to be a Supporters Club member to hear it. Let's run.com slash subscribe. The second podcast every week. You can save 20% of running shoes. So, subscription that pays for itself. But we've got two other major things here to discuss. We'll let you guys pick the order. Max Siegel has been extended a new contract. And the Olympic trials start time has now been confirmed as 10 a.m. for the marathon trials. Let's start with the trials. I don't think there's that much to say on it. I mean, it was going to be warm. Now it's going to, it's still going to be warm, but a little less warm. Uh, I think, you know, we were all on the same page, I think, about keep the trial start time at noon, maximize TV exposure. And then if it's dangerously unsafe in the lead up, you have a contingency plan to move the start time up. I hope this race is still televised nationally on NBC. It's unclear if that's going to be the case. I've reached out to USATF. They didn't, they didn't announce whether it was or not in this press release they announced today. So TBD on that, but 10 a.m. start time. I do wonder if the people, they were pushing for 6 a.m., the people who signed this letter, are they still going to be complaining that 10 a.m. is too warm? Because if you look at previous years, I'm just going to read off from starting in 2017, or actually, let's start in 2016. This was the start time, the temperature in Orlando, Florida at 10 a.m. 2016, it was 76 degrees. 2017, it was 69. 2018, 61. 64, 62, 45. And then 2022, it was 72. So, I think it's still going to be a warm waste, but but I'm fine with that because you're selecting a team for the Olympic marathon, which is also warm. It's going to be warm in Paris at 8 a.m. So 10 a.m. conditions are going to be a little bit better for the athletes, which I think is probably good. But I, I do wonder, are they, all going to, are they going to be some people who are still unsatisfied? Of course there will be, John. Athletes love to complain. Des Linden has the best. Supporters Club member Des Linden. 
she just posted on X. Great. Now that we're all done whining, can we start pumping out stories about the amazing athletes participating? She gives a little thumbs up. I mean, John, there's still contingents. If it's too hot, they'll still move it even move it even earlier. So what if the weather's perfectly fine? 12 a.m., 12 noon would be better. I don't know. I just... Maybe they should have had the trials in Chattanooga, like the board first approved. Maybe that would have been easier because people probably factored in, hey, it's kind of hot in Orlando at noon on, in February. Might be something you want to consider. But I'm glad they have a set time and there's just at least some agreement. It, it, we don't have to talk about this anymore. But that's perfect timing, John, because I just said perhaps they should have the trials where the board first wanted it. Rojo has been helping his wife go up and down the stairs or to the restroom or something. He has returned just in time for us to discuss Max Siegel, who is the CEO of USATF. It was announced earlier this week that his contract has been extended, I think, five years through the 2028 Olympics. So Max Siegel, who first came on board in 2012, will be at the helm of USATF through the home Olympics. Pretty much anyone through the homo should hopefully looks like a genius. And he will be extended for 16 years. That'll be like 16, 17 years. USATF's press release in the hire says, Siegel's transformative leadership of USATF since 2012 has propelled the organization to achieve historic success, marked by record financial growth, programmatic evolution, and inclusive representation including generating over $600 million in revenue and expanding the USATF annual budget to a record $40 million. Perhaps we should bring in Rojo, but I just a few things I want to note. USATF's pretty slow in releasing its tax returns. The last reported revenue for USATF was $34 million in 2021, which was actually lower than the revenue in 2016. So the way I view Max Siegel's tendership, he came in in 2012. He negotiated the historic Nike deal. No, that, that's a lie. Keep going. I'll rant later. Just keep going. Okay, Robert, whatever. He had the wherewithal to sign a new contract with Nike, extending the sponsorship agreement through 2040 for roughly $20 million a year, which pretty much roughly doubled the sponsorship money from USATF. Put USATF on much better financial footing. I'll give him that much. The revenues went from around the 20 million mark up to the 30, 35, but have been declining from 2016 to 2021, or you could argue roughly flat. Yet at the same time, even though this deal was negotiated in 2014, that's the main thing Max has done. He received $500,000 bonuses. Fine. Maybe something you deserve right there when you negotiate the deal. They got that bonus in 2014, 2015, 2016, they gave him a million dollars. 2017, Another half million. 2018, another half million. But then they also said, for some reason, we're going to give you $3 million in the future, which he was paid in 2021. You got 500000 of it in 2020 and 2021. So for some reason, the one thing Max did was help USATF get this better sponsorship deal from Nike, and he's still getting bonuses from it for, in 2021? That makes no sense to me. Now, hopefully the USATF can publish its 2022 financials and show them at much better Sponsorship levels, but sponsorships in 2015 were $22 million. In 2021, they're 20. I mean, that's six years and no growth. Now, that's crazy to me that... that... Okay, let me interrupt here. 
Play the Rojo Rant music. This is so disgraceful that this guy's contract's been renewed and then he's being lauded as a visionary. He's not. Look at the revenue. 2016, 37 million. 2017, 35 million. 2018, 34 million. 2020, 32 million. Going down. That's what I said in the video. He's done nothing for five years. Make it longer. We just haven't had updates. So revenue's going down. He's being lauded as a visionary. I want everyone to pause right here and tell me, other than the Nike deal, which Weldon falsely said he negotiated, it's not true. The head of the USATF board admitted it wasn't Max's ideal to extend with Nike. It was two ex-Nike employees' idea to do it. They came to Max. They largely negotiated the deal. They were paid over $20 million for doing that. And now we're still lauding this guy as a visionary? Nine years later, even though revenue's going down? Name one thing that's different, visionary, from Max Siegel that wasn't done in the past. Putting meats in Eugene. We've done that, and he's now killed the attendance off. Attendance is way down in Eugene from what it used to be 10 years ago. I'm not blaming Max. I mean, new. is it Max Siegel's fault that people aren't turning out to the new Haywood Field? I think that's a I'm somewhat- not saying it's his fault, but I don't think that he deserves to be paid $2 million a year. Wait, the head of the American Red Cross makes less than a million dollars a year. It's a $4 billion, $3 billion organization with thousands of employees. He runs an organization with less than 100 employees that's declining. And we're people like Will Lear and Bernard Lagat should be ashamed of themselves signing these things, acting like he's some visionary leader. I can't believe that you have to kiss that much blank to get in those positions. This guy's done nothing revolutionary. If we want to pay him just like a, he keeps doing what Craig Mosbach did or what the other guy did, have a couple meets in Eugene, one in LA, one in New York, that's fine. Pay him 500 grand for that. Not millions of dollars a year and act like he's a visionary. And by the way, I want to thank the Let's One visitor that has emailed us a copy of the U.S. governing body, governing bylaws. It clearly states that Mac's entire employment has been in violation of that. It says the CEO shall devote himself full time for the work of USATF. Max Siegel also works Rev Racing, has a business, which he said he manages for NASCAR. He's the head of the diversity program for NASCAR racing. He goes to NASCAR races and tweets about it all the time. This is clearly in violation of USATF's own bylaws. I reach out to them and they've issued a statement, which will be in my article, and I hope you read it, saying he's not in violation of the bylaws. BS. Read the bylaws. It's clearly a violation. This isn't a passive ownership. He's working a second job while getting paid multiple millions of dollars a year most years. It's disgraceful. USATF, I hope that the members can file a grievance or something to get this whole contract invalidated. Just to get into the specifics here a little bit, because Robert is saying it's a clear violation. I mean, look, the specifics here are the USATF CEO shall, quote, devote his or her full time to the affairs of USATF without engaging in any other profession or employment. And Max owns this Rev Racing team. If you go on the Rev Racing website, it says Siegel, as team owner, oversees the entire operation at Rev Racing. He manages relationships and agreements with team partners and sponsors. Siegel is also the exclusive manager of NASCAR's Drive for Diversity program. Now, look, you can own something and you can, maybe they claim that's not employment. But as you said, Robert, that doesn't sound like passive ownership. That sounds like he's got significant duties and responsibilities with Rev Racing. And USATF is claiming they've consulted outside legal counsel. There are no bylaws being violated. But 
sounds like you've talked to some people who don't feel that that's the case. I think there are a lot of people who reading this and seeing the facts of it would be like, hmm, certainly seems like he isn't committing himself full time to the affairs of USATF. So that's kind of where we stand on that. But that's so some of the more facts behind this uh, this situation. I think USATF's response to my inquest about whether he's violating the bylaws is perfect. We, 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 we outside cancel. There's no violation of USATF bylaws. We have full confidence, blah, blah, blah. This is great because it just, it shows you the alternate reality that the entire board exists in. They think that paying a guy, a nonprofit CEO, $3.8 million is perfectly fine. And the only reason you'd be paying him that is because he doubled the revenue, but he didn't do that. Some two nights, Two ex-Nike said, execs said, hey, let's negotiate this deal. Pay me $20 million. We'll get you twice as much money. It's a no-bid contract with Nike. So Under Armour, Reebok, Adidas, we're not allowed to bid. Maybe they could have gotten more from them. Plus, we don't even know. It certainly doesn't appear that the deal is pegged for inflation. So $20 million in 2014 is a lot. $20 million in the year 2040 is less than what $10 million is in 2014. Barring, certainly given up how much inflation's been up, right? I never heard that the Nike, that the consulting firm came to Max first. Where are you saying that? Because I have no problem hiring somebody to help negotiate the deal. They should not get a commission for 20 years. That's nuts. I got that from a 2016 Washington Post article, and I quote from it. Board chairman Steve Miller, a former Nike executive, said the idea to approach Nike about a long-term extension did not come from Siegel. Instead, Miller said the idea came from former Nike executives, Adam Heliphant, Chris, and Chris Bafalacqua, two friends of his, who contacted him, contacted him not long after Siegel, Siegel took over as CEO and asked for Miller to introduce them to Siegel. Heliphant and Bafalacqua then led the negotiations for USA Track and Field on the Nike deal, Miller said. So the head of the USA, former head of the USATF board told the Washington Post this. There you have it. He's a leadership. He's a visionary because of this. My God. What? I mean, it sounds like it fell into his lap. But the bid, a couple of things. As far as we know, the bid was never put, it was never put out to bid. Like, hey, Under Armour, you really want to get in running. Do you want to do this? Adidas, do you want to do this? And I am very concerned whether this deal is indexed for inflation. We need a lot more transparency thing, here thing. I think the bylaw thing is a total distraction. I don't think you should focus it. Oh, Max. There's a technicality. Oh, that high school runner didn't wear the shirt. The pants didn't match the shirt. You should be DQ'd. He's been doing well, no. He's been involved with red racing for the entire time. No one thought it was a big deal that he shouldn't be able to work. BS. So, he would be getting these bonuses year after year on a technicality because if the revenue was 20, it went up to 40 and he gets a 1% bonus or whatever it is. That's how he'd be getting these bonuses year after year based on some BS technicality. He's done nothing visionary for the sport. I'm not saying he's been terrible. But we're, the, the pay is exorbitant, and there's yes, time to move on. we can all agree on that. Yes, the pay is exorbitant. It, look, the thing you give him credit for is the organization is on solid financial footing. He has I increased- don't give him credit for that. I, look, he didn't negotiate the deal himself. The deal still pays USATF a bunch of money. I think there are valid concerns about whether it's indexed for inflation and the fact that it wasn't bid out to other companies. It's, they're paying this commission almost a million dollars a year to- two former Nike employees through the year 2039. I think that is worrying, especially when Siegel is getting paid bonuses, still getting paid bonuses from the most recent tax filings. 
on this deal. But he also has brought in some other sponsors. He brought in Toyota. He brought in Hershey. I don't know how much those deals compare to Nike. I do think the Nike deal and then USOPC money via you know NBC for Olympics rights, those are probably the two big sources of revenue. So I don't know how much these other sponsors are bringing in, but you give him some credit for the financial stability, especially when you look at an organization like UK Athletics, which is embroiled in financial instability right now. That said... Visionary, is he coming up with all these other crazy? I mean, that's the one thing I, I give him credit for. The, there are other worrying things, though. I don't think this Rev Racing thing is a technicality well done. People have been aware of it. This isn't like he's hidden his involvement with Rev Racing, but looking at the bylaw and then looking at what his responsibilities are on their website, I, I do seem like it looks like there might be a little conflict there. The other thing that I just found interesting i reread this 2016 washington post article by will hobson which was terrific and there were things i forgot about this like i forgot max siegel has flown to nascar events and charged it to usatf he's had usatf pick up his travel he claimed that these trips were strategy meetings you know that he was talking strategy with people there and therefore it was usatf business i mean strikes me as a little bit unbelievable or convenient, I think, if you're giving Max credit there. And then the other thing, this isn't really like some massive thing, oh, he needs to be fired over it. But there was this exchange about a laptop that Max Siegel ordered. Basically, he ordered it and he was going to reimburse USATF. But if he ordered it through USATF, he didn't have to pay sales tax because they're a nonprofit. And he says in the in the email to Renee Washington, who ordered it, please authorize blank to order this for me so I may save on taxes, etc. Once the computer arrives, I'll pay USATF for it. And they asked Jill Gear, who was the USATF spokesperson at the time, uh, you know, was he why was he buying this? Like, did he try to save on sales tax? And her response was Max requested that an employee with technical expertise assist him in the purchase of computer equipment. His request had nothing to do with the avoidance of sales tax. Later informed of Siegel's email saying he wanted to save on taxes, Gear declined additional comment. That just was a little highlight of the story for me, but not really a huge deal in the grand scheme of things. A couple of things. Those anecdotes were from seven years ago. Not the best anecdotes, obviously. But the real question is, like, the board... One, they said they hired an outside pay consultant. We asked for more information on that. They said... What they've released is what they've released. These people need to forget. This is a nonprofit. Why can't we know exactly how much Nike is paying? The members should know how much Nike is paying in the future going forward. That's not some trade secret. I, let's, let's announce that publicly. Is this index for inflation? Why is Max getting bonuses now, essentially almost 10 years later after this deal? And the only hope is they said that the revenue is now $40 million, the budget. Well, the last year we have is 2021, it's 34 million. So hopefully there is maybe a Toyota deal or something. But with the U.S. Home Olympics coming up, there is going to be the opportunity for more revenue to come in, sponsorships. But Max, that's in the future. It's crazy as much money he's gotten paid at a nonprofit. Trackfield's fans don't probably realize this. This is my video. Again, please watch the video that I made. It's linked to in the show notes. USA Swimming is a bigger organization in terms of revenue in 2021 than, than USA Track and Field. 
But from 2016 to 2021, their CEOs on average made a $970,000 a year. They are different things. You just say swimming makes most of its revenue from like membership dues. It's a different organization. Because I was like, wait, how do they have more sponsorship than track and field? They don't. There's a bunch of people have to pay and join to like get access to pools or something. Regardless, Max Siegel's made almost twice that. Okay, guys. I promise I won't rant anymore. I just got a text from my wife. She's embarrassed. She's on her work calls upstairs. Bedridden says she can't hear her have yelling in the background. I said, honey, the passion. The hatred I have of corruption knows no bounds. We did try to get Max Siegel on the podcast, right, John? You reached out. Like, Max needs to tell his story. Though, here's what I'm doing. Here's the things. Here's why I deserve this bonus. Like, last year, you went all victim mode. Oh, my daughter's getting mean stuff on Instagram or something. It's like, you're a public, hugely public figure, head of a major nonprofit. Scrutiny comes with that. And the board should, the board should say, like, why is Max getting these bonuses here? This bonus is because of whatever. It's just so opaque. And it seems totally out of line with what other nonprofits pay. So it's, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of the mo- amount of money he's getting paid or even the necessary, the need to extend him right now. But it is what it is, guys. You guys force him out with technicality. I, he's got a contract through 2028. Good luck on that one. Probably get paid off that way, too. Yeah, I think transparency is what we want from Max and from USATF in general. Like, the board recommended the trials go to Chattanooga, and you gave them to Orlando. Why was that? What was so appealing about Orlando? They floated out this explanation. Oh, we had to disqualify the Chattanooga bid due to a conflict of interest, which seems somewhat spurious and now they're being sued over but i guess that's their explanation but like what what about orlando made it such an enticing property to host the trials over chattanooga i've never really heard that explanation i'd like to hear that why is max being paid these bonuses years later from the nike contract was it tied to hey i when he comes on as ceo if did he have some sort of agreement or understanding with the board hey if i raise revenues by a certain amount i will get significant bonuses for it and then he raises revenues and he is entitled to those bonuses is that that might be on the board for opening themselves up to it i don't know but i'd like to see just a bit more transparency on Siegel and usatf's part they hired presumably at the cost of tens of thousands of dollars fw cooked uh, to determine whether Siegel was overpaid or whether his pay was in line they said those recommendations have been taken into account for his next contract what were the rest of those ex- recommendations can the usatf can the public know them is there a reason that needs to be kept secret his contract is going to come out eventually in the tax filings a few years down the road like they, they're bragging about how they engaged this firm to evaluate his pay but they don't actually say what the firm found so that's that's all i think all, all, what we're asking here is for more transparency. I just wish we tried something new. Like we're just doing the same old, same old for 15 years under Siegel. Put every meet in Eugene, put the Olympic trials wherever he wants it, no matter what the board says. Meanwhile, down in Atlanta, Atlanta track club, always one of the greatest track clubs in the country, building a brand new, what is it like an $80 million indoor facility? Spending millions of dollars on the Olympic trials paying for every trials qualifier to come. 
bringing in past legends to like Gail Devers to work for you, do community involvement. They're headed by someone who doesn't have another job, someone who's actually a legit runner, a fan of the sport. Siegel seems to be more into NASCAR than into running to me. Anybody know how much Rich Kanaw makes? Former world championship bronze medalist? 350. Rich isn't about enriching himself, despite his first name. He actually makes, he's the CEO of the Atlanta Trek Club. He makes less than the VP of sponsorship and partnerships the last two years. He made $191,000 in 2020, that's including bonuses. Two hundred nineteen thousand twenty twenty one. You don't think he could do at least what Max Siegel's doing? Be happy to do it, thrilled to do it for five hundred thousand dollars a year. We'd have another basically one point five million dollars. It's not just Siegel's compensation, by the way. Renee Washington, the second person at USATF, makes more than these. She made like one point five million. We could easily have two million dollars a year just to put into a nest egg, let it build up every 10 years. We could blow $10 million in the coolest track and field event of all time. Diamond league meet only costs like 2 million. For the record, let's, let's add this to the list of things. Robert has earmarked this money towards, I think we're up to about 10 or 11, right? Putting it now, putting it in a nest egg. So if you put it in a nest egg, you can't use it for all these other ideas you've had, Robert, just FYI. All right, people, please. Enter our prediction contest. Get your friends to do it. NCAA prediction contest powered by Zappos. Please watch my Max Siegel video from last week. Please come back to the homepage. I'm going to have an article up in print on this debacle. Send my video to other people. I think it would have gone viral, but I misspelled swimming, so I had to take it down and re-release it. The first 500 comments were amazing. They're all gone. <laughs> Yes, your original video had 500 comments and we deleted it. But. I don't have time for Max Siegel, guys. I'm out changing lives, changing the world. Like, you know, Bob Barker had his cause, right? Spray, neuter your pets or whatever. Maybe I'll start ending every podcast. Received an email. Last year I spoke about, I'm all about men's health, my varicocele issue. I received an email, John. I wonder if you know this person. Dave Chalmers. He writes, I'm listening to the latest podcast and laughed out loud when you brought up your varicocele issue. I'm a fellow Ivy League runner, Dartmouth 2001, and I'm now a urologist who treats varicoceles. I like your PSA since 10 to 15% of men have a varicocele. The majority are not symptomatic, but men should know that chronic pain in that area is not normal and they should talk to a doctor. Love you guys. So men out there, if it's hurting down there, go see a doctor. We need to have some code, like doctor slash let's run. Then we make, much as medicine costs, we could get like $1,000 if just one dude goes in. Best opportunity there.